In the middle of this week, I was really struck by some of the words from Psalm 62 and verses 5 to 8. Yes, my soul find rest in God. My hope comes from him. Truly, he is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I will not be shaken. My salvation and my honour depend on God. He is my mighty rock, my refuge. Trust in him at all times, you people. Pour out your hearts to him, for God is our refuge. What amazing verses, a real expression of prayer from the psalmist. The reading is taken from Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 to 9. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, Whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable. If anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice. And the God of peace will be with you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and we pray that you would open your word to our hearts and our hearts may be open to your word. Amen. So the question today is what's the point of praying? That question is sometimes uttered when one is feeling utterly down, disappointed, and even there's a sense of hopelessness behind it. What's the point of praying? And now, this last week, we've heard this terrible milestone of a statistic of 100,000 people dying of COVID-related illness. It's somehow reminds us that there must have been millions of prayers for those people which in all intents and purposes didn't get answered and you can hear that cry ringing out across the nation what's the point of praying when this happens there's real anger there's real sense of frustration and even disillusionment so i want to address two of the honest questions that have been submitted by members of Christ Church. And then I want to ask an alternative myself. The first question is this. If God has everything planned out, how can we change anything through our prayers? It is a what's the point sort of question. It's saying underneath it, or if it's all set in stone, then why 
bother praying? How can we do anything about it? But I want to ask, how does this relate to an understanding of God that is portrayed in the Bible? It sounds suspiciously like fatalism. Okay, Sarah, Sarah, whatever will be, will be. And that's not how it is with God. For in the Bible, there is a meta-narrative, a, a, a story, a big story, that goes through the whole of scriptures, that helps us to see that God actually is at work in and through all these different events of human history. This big story is something that has been brought out wonderfully in the last few months by Belinda Stowe and Sean Vickery, my wife, who has written uh, these publications, Volume 1 and Volume 2, of Jack in the Box, The Big Bible Story. These are stories uh, set for children of the early years, and it takes you right the way through the Old and New Testament and helps to bring out how God is at work in those different stories, in those different characters, and how those events shaped the way that God was working out his purposes. It is a thread that reminds us that the darkness has never and cannot ever put out the light that is still burning strong. I expect some of you will have heard the story that Nicky Gumbel tells on uh, Alpha, uh, as written in his book, um, The Big uh, Questions of Life, about uh, a, a person who was in the 19th century in a hotel in Norway. His name was Lord Radstock, and he was staying there. And as he was uh, in his bedroom, he could hear faintly in the hallway, at the bottom of the hotel reception, this uh, sound from a piano of a sort of a plink and a plonk and a plink, plink, plonk. Uh, and he went out to see what it was, and there was uh, a little girl sat on the piano stool just playing these rather random notes. It didn't sound great to him. But as he watched, he saw a, a man, an older man, come over and sit with that little girl. And he started to play. And he started to play this incredible piece of, of music. But what was even more remarkable was that he was able to take the notes and incorporate what this little girl was playing in what he played. And it just sounded amazing. Later he discovered that that man was the great composer Alexander Borodin. And he was the father of that little girl. To me, that reminds me that God is the one who takes our random notes, sometimes good and sometimes far from good, and weaves them into his melody, brings out that big story in spite of all the things that we get wrong. So, the second question that I want to uh, address this, this morning is this. Now we know 
that we are just a tiny speck in the vast universe, why would God allow us to influence anything in the world through prayer? Why would God allow us to influence anything in the world if we're just so tiny? I think that's a great question. A response, though, requires us to look at this through two separate lenses. The question, as it's put, is looking uh, perhaps through the human lens. And it recognizes that our place, our significance as a human being in this vast world is absolutely minuscule when set against the context of the whole of creation. Who are we? And yet, if we could see things through God's eyes, through that lens, our significance would become so great that we could hardly comprehend how great it is, and indeed how great God is. For as St. John memorably put it in, in those words of Jesus in John 3, chapter, uh, chapter 3, verse 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. I love the authorised version where it talks about not to whoever but whosoever in terms of the person, uh, the, the, the people that God was looking at through his eyes as he saw the world. He was seeing it not as a great mass of people, but as a community of individual people, each of whom Christ came to die for. For me, for my family, for you, and all that you love. He came to do that in that personal way. And what incredible significance that gives to each of us, that he should invite us to be part of a family, to be into that relationship of, of being a child of God, with a Father who loves us intimately, as if there were no other. It is truly amazing grace, and that grace is portrayed in Jesus in the, in the Gospels, that this all people and each person loving God has come to find us. The question, therefore, that I wanted to ask in response to those two questions, which maybe uh, gets more to the heart of what prayer really is about and why we pray, is this. Why has God called us to pray? Well, the answer is written very clearly in the scriptures. It's there in that verse from John 3:16 that God loves us so much that he wants us to know him and to know his love. He wants to know us personally and for us to grow in our awareness and experience of that love and his peace. And of course, that relationship is one that depends on communication, two-way communication. One of God speaking to us through his word and us responding to that word 
in prayer, speaking with him, dwelling on it, reflecting, and being able to allow the deepest of our inner being to come into communion with our Father. Yes, like a child with a loving father or mother. In that relationship, we learn how to live life to the full. And we quickly discover that that relationship is one where learning to trust is at the very core of it. Learning to trust in every circumstance we go through in life. And that is an incredibly hard thing to learn. What might help? Well, for me, a key passage is the one that Sean read for us this, this morning. In Philippians 4, where St. Paul says this incredibly sort of um, impossible thing to do, in my thinking. He says, don't be anxious about anything. <laughs> Come on, Paul. Um, well, what does he mean by being, not being anxious? Well, when you look at the real meaning behind it, it appears that St. Paul does not mean for us to exercise some stoic determination of a sort of an uncaring hardness of heart. I won't be anxious about anything. I won't switch off my feelings and just allow things to go as they want to go. But rather, he says, present your requests to God in everything by prayer, petition, and with thanksgiving, he says, present your requests to God. In other words, speak with God, open up your heart, tell him how it is, and present these, offer these prayers to him. In every circumstance, it says, pray, pray to the Lord who loves you. Anxiousness that is caused and fueled by fear is not what Paul is calling us to. Because fear can be like a, a master over us. It can grip us and it can make our lives totally dominated by that which drives us into negativity and is highly destructive. It often is self-centered and counterproductive. Fear and faith are two opposites. Because perfect love, says the scriptures, drives out all fear. And God comes to us with love so that we can pray out of that sense of being loved. Not out of fear, but out of a sense of trust. It's emphasized again by the Apostle Peter in his first letter, chapter 5, verse 7, where he says, cast all your anxiety on him, on God. Why can we do that? He finishes that verse by saying, because he cares for you. And so we make our requests to God. We don't make demands, but we present them, we offer them in humility and surrender. With the model of Jesus Christ before us, you remember how in Gethsemane, when the greatest load of anxiety and burden was upon him, as he faced his terrifying death, came before God and said, Father, 
If it is possible, let this cup, this cup of suffering, pass from me. But not my will, but yours be done. Father, he says, he is in that relationship of intimacy, of dependence, of trust. And in prayer, we too are called to enter into a divine exchange to offer ourselves, our fears and our worries to the Lord with open hands and find that he takes them as we surrender them to him and replaces them with his peace, the peace of God that transcends all understanding. We can't get our head around it and yet we can experience it. It was that experience of being held that Sean, my wife, knew when she was going through a huge operation a few years ago in hospital and somebody gave her this beautiful little sculpture, very simple, of, of a hand holding a little child. She had that by the hospital bed when she was recovering. And it expresses that place of being held by a God whose love is so deep that he wants for us the things that are going to help us to grow and to learn to trust him day by day so that we might enter more fully into relationship with him. And that for me is why we are called to pray, to find our rest in God, and to receive his love, to learn to find his peace in our hearts and to live in total trust. May that be true for us as we go forward in our lives together. Amen.